This is Beekeeper Confidential, a show about the curious lives of bees and their beekeepers. I'm your host, Mandy Shaw. Today's guest has taken a very interesting turn in his journey with bees. He's gone from a conventional backyard beekeeper to now hosting swarm habitat throughout the state of Oregon and Southwest Washington. He's been documenting this process on his YouTube channel called 18 Bees. Please welcome to the show, my friend and beekeeper, Alistair McKenzie. So, you know, you work uh, like almost exclusively with log hives now. And so I'm glad I have a little bit of a, a connection to that and um, perspective on on having a colony in a in a log uh, untouchable by the beekeeper. And you can really see what what they can do. Right. Um, right. Yeah, I know I was my my very first year in beekeeping. Um, you know, I, I was introduced to by uh, a friend of mine who was in a very, very uh, high-stressed environment at work, and um, you know, I asked him, you know, what, you know, why he got involved in beekeeping. It was because, you know, during some of the trials that he was going through at work, he decided he needed something to take his mind off what he was going through and um that became a kind of an obsession for him so um i kind of felt the same way and i remember he's like you know now listen i'm going to set you up i'm going to put the box in for you i'm going to put the bees in for you do not open the hive <sighs> so he was about 20 minutes after he left, I had opened up the hive. <laughs> so I think that for, for every new beekeeper, yeah. you know, you definitely are so enthusiastic. You want to jump in, you want to look fascinated. Uh, and then of course they end up dying. And that was uh, kind of like my introduction to bees was through, through him. And, uh, and he still, he has one log hive that I gave him. And uh, he now compares the survival of the log versus his Langstroth and Wari hives. Mm -hmm. And uh, the log hive continues. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So let's give our listeners a little bit of backstory on how you and I know each other. Um, we're both in the Pacific Northwest. And I started seeing you on social media and uh, I really was liking your posts. You were posting about, you know, finding logs and like working with arborists and introducing swarms into these logs. And, and it's similar to the work that our friend um, Mikhail Thiele is doing and which is like reintroducing honeybees to their natural habitat, rewilding the honeybees and it's I think an idea that is becoming more and more accepted but I reached out to you um to have you on the show and you were you were catching some heat for your work <laughs> do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah well you know I 
Well, first of all, going back to, you know, why I got involved in it was because of what my friend, you know, was going through at work. And that was something that helped him uh, get some peace in his life while he was dealing with issues. And then I was also having some tough times in my life and I felt I needed something to take my mind off or throw my extra time into something that was more productive or had some value to my own kind of like soul. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the bees started dying on me. Then I started getting guilty and feeling down and depressed and anxious. I thought I got into this, so I didn't feel that. And then the bees yeah. were dying on me. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? I kept judging myself. And uh, it didn't help that, of course, you get people saying to you, more experienced beekeepers, that perhaps you did do something wrong. And um, so then I, I do a lot of hiking as well. And I started finding honeybee nests in the, in the wild. And I was wondering, why, why are they surviving then? And I'm actually doing all the things that are required of me as a good, responsible beekeeper. And they're still dying on me. But these bees are not touched. They're not treated. They're not fed. And that's when I thought, well, I'm in, you know, the construction business and uh, or in the equipment construction business. And so I was able to kind of talk to somebody and help me get a log to my location. And when I put the bees in and saw that they were doing well, I started to post more information about it. And then that was when the trouble started, that um, I would have private messages sent to me or uh, open attacks on social media that I was spreading disease and um, I was being irresponsible. So always the best way to handle those things is to completely ignore attacks and just press ahead with what you believe to be right. Find your own path in your life. And um, yeah, so I caught some heat. But, um, you know, I honestly thought to myself, all right, there may be things going on in their lives. They have issues. Like I had issues in my life. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to leave them alone. Who knows the, the, you know, the minds or the heart of a person. Um, so I just decided to ignore that, press ahead with um, developing the logs. And now I'm up to 46 logs now. <laughs> not all occupied but yeah yeah. and you're not just keeping them on your own places you're putting them all over town um yeah so i i only have two uh log hives on my property and uh what i do now is um i offer logs for free and the bees for free so if i so i came up with this idea of like swarm habitat and uh, there's a, a number kicking around that 80% of the swarms don't make it in their first year. And I think part of that is attributed to the fact that there's declining habitat, swarming, swarming habitat for them. Mm-hmm. And I can see that in the construction business, I have a lot of people in the forestry industry. And, uh, you know, they clear out all the uh, invaluable lumber, which then in turn that reduces the habitat for the bees so um 
I contacted, I connected with these guys and asked them, you know, do you mind if I put a log and I explained the situation? They were kind of horrified that that's what they had done. Wow. They were oh. oblivious. So in actual fact, they were not anti-bee or anti-habitat. As soon as I made them aware of what was going on, they wanted to take logs on. Yeah. So now in southwest Washington and uh, Portland down to Salem, um, I have logs scattered out on people's property, roughly one to two log highs per acre. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I've come up with roughly. And you mentioned that you do this, uh, you know, you introduce the log hives and bring the bees at no cost. Right. Which is really something because, um, you know, if anybody's that ever had to move a hive or or even caught swarms, it's a lot of time and it's a lot of effort. Um, but it's something that you, I, I think, is one of your core values is to not monetize this this precious work that you're doing. Yeah, I mean, you know that some, you know, I don't want to you know judge anybody else who wants to make money out of that. I happen to just be in a little bit of a position where I make my own money elsewhere. And wherever I go, when it comes to bees and logs, um, it also involves my business, which is construction equipment. So I'm able to tie the two in. And so I say it's for free, but, you know, really I'm actually doing business at the same time Mm -hmm. with landowners or property owners or at least in the vicinity. So I don't want to kind of poo-poo people making money out of it. <laughs> my, my personal preference is that I don't, I don't uh, do that. In fact, we had a conversation, I remember this, and it stuck <laughs> with me ever since, about the, uh, if I start charging, then it takes away the magic. Yes. And I didn't, I think, is that what we said? Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Just for our listeners, we've had quite a few phone conversations, and after we hang up, I always wish, dang it, I wish that I had been recording that, because that was such a great conversation. (laughs) Um, But that was one of the last ones that we had. I had, we had, I, I think I called you, or maybe you called me, I can't really remember, but I wanted to hear about this video that you had just posted, um, and you had shared it with our Portland Urban Beekeepers Facebook group. And in the video, you were talking about the bees in this swarm being skinny. And that is like an observation that I had never paused to make before, like when I'm collecting swarms. And so I was really intrigued by that. Oh, right. Yeah, that that was the, um, the Molalo swarm. So another good example of combining, you know, what I do for work and uh, swarm catching. So this was up actually up in about 20 acre location. And it's my customer. They had a a swarm that he assumes came out of the out of the woods. And it was balanced on a tree, uh, head high, looked like a beautiful, normal uh, melon-sized swarm, and I, like you know, I don't, I rarely put on the the veil or bee suit because it's, um, I sweat like a pig in those things anyway. That's the main reason <laughs> I can't see stuff with my glasses. 
Yeah. And uh, normally when I put those down into the box, it's not a big deal. But when I approached that, that swarm, I could see that they were a lot smaller and their wings were like F-15 fighter jet wings. They were mm. comp- like really different to me. And they were wings up, start- they were almost like looking at me. And I thought, eh, not a big deal, I guess. And then you know the rest of the story. I got stung about 30 times. <laughs> <laughs> so I was sick for a few days. But yeah, those, um, so I don't know, you know, if I say that there were, if I say that they were feral bees, you know, people will say, well, how do you know? Right. Why? Well, right. it's kind of an observation. There's the coloring is, you know, slightly different. Um, the body size was different. Their behavior. And oh, actually, you know what? On that subject, that so that hive, I thought it was because of the fires in Malala from the previous year, mm-hmm. so that they were hungry and yeah, and that's what we had been talking about that they they were probably just really hungry and like that was the explanation for their their you know hyper defensiveness and their size. Right, but so now fast forward, so I installed those bees into a into an oak log and the oak log has um, uh, like these small turkey tail mushrooms Uh, up uh the side of the log. And um, I bring that up because um, I was uh, watching a a video on uh, about fungi and I can't remember the chap's name. He's up north somewhere in Olympia. Uh, Probably Paul Stamets. Uh, Yes, him. Yeah, That's yeah. Right, yeah. So he was mentioning stuff about bees and mushrooms and some kind of relationship there. And I thought, huh, I remember that log had lots of that turkey tail on there. So I jumped in the truck, went over to film the bees. Those, I hadn't seen those bees for over a month. Those bees were as defensive as they were on the first day I met them. Uh-huh. Wow. So, and not only that, <laughs> but I got them on film. And, and by the way, the propolis they've already built on the outer edges of the log. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the I, really um, marvelous features about log hives or, or bees living in tree cavities is that they're not just limiting their propolis, propolizing to the inner cavity. They are coating the outside of it as well you know any part that their bodies come into contact with on the on the outside of it they will coat with propolis that's absolutely right i mean that you know that that thing about you know all of us finding our own path in beekeeping you know we all kind of attach ourselves to to various elements of of beekeeping Mm -hmm. mine has evolved into specifically focused on propolis because um, the, one, one of the comments that was always made to me uh, from certain people was that, you know, I was creating these mite bombs and that there was no way to test for American fowlbrood. And uh, I'd been reported to the Oregon Agriculture Department oh, and geez. to the Washington State as well, which ended up being a good thing because the people at the Ag Department were really interested to know what I was doing. I explained 
I think that what they wanted to know was, did I have like 500 logs in my backyard? Right. You know, it's like, right. no. <laughs> Yeah, and, like, that's the thing. Just, like, natural colonies are not going to be close together. Like, you're being thoughtful in your placement and not having them in, you know, highly concentrated numbers. Right, you know. So I I sort of, like, started to realize that, you know, now I'm in my third year of logs, and most of them have survived the only the only thing that i can tell that went wrong with the logs that collapsed were to do with mice mm-hmm. i had not properly sealed off the bottom of the log or the space was too big and i when i when we dismantled the logs i would look inside there were there were actual nests in there yeah yeah that's so funny i um i was talking with somebody the other day about how um this hive configuration that i have i had it was for langstroth and i had it two deeps and then my supers above that and i could always find brood and eggs in the upper uh deep box and so i never went down into the first box because it's so heavy to lift those things anyways and i (laughs) found what i needed to find so i didn't feel like i needed to go any further but little later down the road I discovered that there was a mouse nest in that first deep box and the bees were just staying away from it right so so the failures are that I've seen I think are are mainly mice and that I had about I think it was three logs that failed yeah yeah the rest of them um have done excellent they not all of them but a lot of them have started to build this propolis out of the top part of their of their entrances, and uh, you know I started to read about um, like propolis envelope, mm-hmm. and you know what is it what is it that's going on? Why why is it no matter what we do in treating um, hives um, and feeding them, why is the end result normally that we lose hives. Um, and I, I, I think honestly that the, the I'm, I'm a great example is that I was messing around too much in the, in the, in the hives. Yeah. So, you know, when we open up the, the hive, we're really exposing their, their organs, you know, the organ of the colony to, uh, temperature fluctuations to bacteria to you know things right. that they normally aren't designed to have done to them right you know I and uh, again you know I go back to you know getting really down on myself for seeing these things collapsing so now that I have the log hives I'm not emotionally attached to them mm-hmm. all I do is like I I cannot be blamed anymore yeah. because I am not going into the hives. But what I do get to do is now observe them and then read material about natural beekeeping or nests in the wild. So there are some great studies, um, great papers, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I think there should be a, there should be an element that's, that is taught in, and probably is anyway, in beekeeping associations about um you know, Propolis and people like this Marla Spivak and uh, Renata Borba 
uh, there, was, there was one other person. Um, but those two, those two um, have come out with some great papers um, about the conditions inside uh, hives. And I think there's something to it because the minute you start cracking open the hive, all of a sudden you've got a temperature change again. Mm-hmm. The logs, I am almost certain, uh, maintain the, the thermal um, dynamics within the log hive, I think remain more stable than they do yeah. in a Langstroth box. Yeah, absolutely. And even there's been so many uh, debates about should we be insulating our hive boxes or should we be wrapping them? Um, and I mean, it makes sense if you insulate and it's not going to cause the bees to overheat in the summer. It's going to help them maintain the, the inner temperature that they need. Yeah. I think that, you know, things that, you know, like for like the actual hive or the colony health, if, if heat is an issue, it means that when they are trying to deal by, you know, leaving the leaving the leaving the hive to go outside and just beard, it's taking away probably whatever work that it is that they're doing inside the inside the nest mm-hmm. to maintain colony health. So yeah. they're dealing with a stressor. That's so that right. Can, and as as we all know, like honeybees, their their season. I always think of it as they're in a race against time to get themselves yeah. ready to survive the winter, and that that starts months and months before winter even hits. Right. Um, so I have I have without a doubt seen I've seen wildness, and I've had several because I get to go on people's properties, and they just tell me, "Oh yeah, I've got a nest over there." Wow. I got a nest in the barn. I've been there for 10 years, 20 years. And again, people will say, well, how do you know that that was the same bees? Well, we're not saying that, or they're not saying that. All they're saying is that, and you have to take their word for it, is that every year they have seen activity in the wall cavity or the tree nest. Yeah. And the evidence for that is almost every time those wall cavities or those tree nests are absolutely caked thick with propolis pouring outside of the entrance mm-hmm. totally fascinating well let to, me to let me it. ask you about this i i had designed these little hive roofs that were super super insulated the the part that would come into contact with the hive cavity was canvas and the bees would just build so much propolis on it that it was like when you pulled it up off of the hive it was just like taffy it was really really thick and at the time I was having um, the folks from the Oregon State Bee Lab come up and get samples because I was participating in the the USDA honeybee um, survey and they said that they'd never seen like propolis like that before that it was just so <laughs> thick okay so they've got all this propolis on like above their heads right well in the mm-hmm. winter time when there is some amount of condensation in the hive my curiosity is does the propolis 
does it take on any of that moisture? And if it does, when the droplets form and the bees are either drinking it or they're up there, because the bees would always be up there in the winter because I could, I could peek inside the little upper entrance and see the cluster right there. What I am imagining is this medicinal propolis uh, drink slash uh, shower. <laughs> I mean, I know we don't want bees getting showered in the wintertime because that's bad, but like, you know, that humidity that's in there, I just wonder if all of that propolis um, somehow is in, you know, when it's wet like that, if they can drink it, if they can, you know, if it coats their whole bodies, I don't know. What do you think about that? I'm getting, I feel like I'm getting a little bit on a tangent about it. <laughs> Hey, that's all right. I don't. I don't mind tangents. I mean, it's like you're just thinking about stuff, and that's yeah. what we should be doing is asking questions about what's going on inside these um, these nests or inside your hives. And I, I don't know. I mean, I know that in the in cold temperatures, the propolis turns to like glass. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's rock hard and shiny. Um, so. I really don't know. I mean, I don't think bees actually eat propolis, right? I'm not. I'm, yeah, I don't think that they eat that it. Somewhere at least in one of the either, papers. but like surely, like when they're washboarding, I th I personally think washboarding is a behavior of needing, as in needing dough, uh, needing propolis on the hive, and you know when we see bees washboarding on our on our box hives or our man-made hives, well, they don't have that propolis layer on the outside of it, but instinctually bees are doing the washboarding anyways. But if you see them washboarding on a log hive, they're needing the propolis. <laughs> I feel like they're, they're, you know, they're using their tongues and that rocking back and forth motion and they're doing it when it's hot and when the propolis is a little bit more um, like moldable. I, I feel like that's what the behavior is. Well, you know, I, I mean, you're probably right. You know, I mean, I, most of the time when I'm filming uh, the bees, when they're doing that motion, rocking back and forth or the washboarding, it's normally between four and six and seven o'clock in the day. So when it's a bit more pliable, maybe, or maybe there are, there are elements on the surface because they're using their front legs and their tongue together in motion. Uh, whether it's they're picking up something or whether they are polishing, who I don't really know actually. Yeah. But <laughs> but I do know one thing that if I film these bees like pretty much every day doing that that motion, and then I see them on the Langstroth boxes outside doing the same motion. So if you say that bees have uh, stages in their life, um, this washboarding thing or propolis polishing or propolis application must be a part of the bee's evolution or mm -hmm. not evolution, sorry, stage of its life. Yeah. This is your task now. Yeah. You're the forager, you're the resin guy. You're the pollen guy. You're the wa the water or oh, girl. Sorry, <laughs> you're the water girl. So there's something to it. Um, I know that for the logs that have failed, all of them in the first season, 
completely layered the interior of the logs with propolis. And to this day, uh, well, actually, they're all filled now, but when they were left for about four or five months, not one spore could I see inside that log, but there was fungus on the outside mm -hmm. of the log, but not in the interior. So when it comes back to like American fowl brood, which, you know, I think it's, it's life cycle starts with spores. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. So they don't get an opportunity inside the log hive to take root because of the kind of like the enamel surfacing of propolis. Yeah. It really is like an enamel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, for me, I just, how I'll, I'm, you know, I, I met this couple recently from a company. Um, they're a couple of organic garden. They supply, I can't it's called agricultural something or other. I forgot what it's called. Um, but they grow vegetables and then the people will pay like $500 a year. Oh, oh it's a CSA, a Community CSA. Supported Agriculture. Well, I came across those guys. I, you know, I put a log in uh, about a week ago or two weeks ago. And um, they talked to me about um, the soil mm -hmm. and not breaking up the soil or no till or limited tilling. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Right. <laughs> so then they started talking about the, the structure of the soil and the mycelium structure under the soil. And I had no, I'd never heard of this before. And I instantly thought about the bees. It's the same thing. When you go in, I mean, they put it quite clearly. They just said, well, you, if you go in there and till, you turn that whole structure upside down and you just kill it. You kill all the natural, uh, is it called biome or something? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense. And putting it to the idea of, you know, applying that philosophy to a beehive also makes absolute sense yeah you go into the hive right so you this apparently propolis is like the enemy of the beekeeper so you go in there you tear everything up now whatever it is that they need to re-establish the ideal conditions within the hive they got to go back to like i got to repair all this bloody damage that these characters did coming into my home mm-hmm and so it diverts again. So we go back to like things like, um, you know, varroa mites. If, you know, like um, Apis serana has been able to like, you know, they're able to groom each other, yeah. groom the mites, bite the, bite the mites' legs, pull the mites off the bee. They've learned a behavior that Apis mellifera hasn't, hasn't learned yet. And maybe us messing around inside the hive all the time takes away from that one element of grooming mm -hmm. of dealing with the mite mm -hmm. yeah um, and that also goes back to bearding taking away from precious time where they could be inside working right yeah yeah well i've i've uh I, you know, I'm all I'm doing is observing and, and having a lot of fun doing it. Well, this is just and, such a wonderful and unique perspective. And you have a YouTube channel, um, 18 Bs, and you put out 
videos pretty frequently. That's a lot of work. How do you find how do you find time to balance, you know, the time that you're going out and checking on your logs and working and creating this channel for people to watch? Well, um thank God for my woman because she <laughs> uh you know, I think she gets some happiness and, and joy from knowing that I've got peace in my life by, so it's like therapy for me. Oh yeah. So I think if anybody is struggling with um, things like, you know, depression or anxiety, actually observing bees, it brings a lot of healing to your brain. It, mm -hmm. it seriously does. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't take any medications or anything like that. Um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but um, I just get so much joy out of being out there, meeting human beings on a one-to-one. -one. I'm I'm totally useless in groups. I fall apart. One-on-one, <laughs> oh. uh, -on -one, I do I do pretty well. Um, I get to meet all these fantastic people, and yeah. so I have this drive to want to promote natural beekeeping. If we just leave the bees alone. I think there's, of course, we want honey. But one of the compliments that I got from the Stafford Road logs. Oh, by the way, have you seen those logs? Um, I have. So um, <laughs> this is another little connection that we have is that um, the the horse farm that I had been keeping bees at for many years um, is just not very far from where you have some of your log hives. And I've seen them and they're at, they're at a pig farm, right? Right. Pigs and chickens and Yeah, and they have like boulders and like yeah. like rocks for sale and um it's just a really cool spot, but you can see it from the freeway. Yeah. You can see those hives. <laughs> well I have so sorry, did you have so you went to see them? I well I haven't been down there to look at them, but okay. I've I've driven past and like once I realized they were yours, then, it, you know, you feel a little heart flutter because you're like, I know the beekeeper. I know those bees uh, somehow. Like, we're all connected. <laughs> well, let me tell you two little stories about this. So about the logs that really gives me even more of a drive to want to do this. Uh, the owners of that um, landscaping company or rockery, pig farm, stroke chicken farm, stroke whatever, you know, they're kind of like that uh, polyculture farming oh, yeah got, yeah i love that you know should be um anyway the, the when i first started talking to them about log hives uh, I, we were standing in front of their langstroth box and uh they said to me yeah but how do you get the honey from the log and my response to them was well how do you get honey from a, a dead langstroth box i was like well good point their their hives collapsed for three years in a row. Ugh. So I said, well, let's put the log in. And uh, so I put, you know, I I advise to put in two logs if you're on one acre, because if one collapses, you've got your backup. Yeah. And that'll get you. And if one collapses, you get to pull the honey out. But um, when just recently that log hive swarmed again. And I asked her, so any regrets on the log? She says, I never thought I'd say this, but this is the best way to go forward. Oh. Because for the 
first time she saw bees surviving. Yeah, yeah. And that in itself is a real perspective changer if you've not been able to to have bees survive and then to see them thriving that is more important than a honey harvest by by, by far i think so yeah yeah but here's another great story so at the at the arboretum the hoyt arboretum mm-hmm. in portland it's beautiful to look at it's beautiful to walk through but there's one thing that people um don't really take notice of and that is that you don't see that many insects around there you don't see many bees around there and there's a reason i think there's a reason for that um but um and i've been talking to them about you know pesticide use and how how can we get away from this program of you mass spraying the arboretum because there are huge sanctions that I, you know, I've come across that are just, you know, brownouts from, you know, from spring or from herbicide, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, honeybees, hard to, hard to find. You do find, you know, um, native or, you know, bumblebees and, but really it's not that intense. You can be, when you see the sun coming through the trees and you just stand there and look, at this one piece of one space where the the light is shining through, you don't really see insects crossing the light. So I've got six logs positioned in the perimeter of the arboretum, and um, they're casting swarms. So I was out for a walk recently, uh, going up uh, Upper Cascade, <clears throat> and um, I stopped to talk to um, this couple working in the garden. And she said, um, have you noticed that we have a lot more honeybees around here Aww. recently? And I said, well, funny, you should say that. <laughs> so I told them about my log hives and they, they saw the videos. And they said, well, can we get one? I was like, yeah, how much does it cost? It doesn't cost anything. Just if you can help with them, if they can help me position it that's about the only cost that it will be that was really pretty awesome and now when you go up lower cascade upper cascade um you'll see bee lines and they weren't there a few two years ago not as much this is the great thing about the logs they're so um you know they they look like they're part of the environment they're nestled away in the bushes in the trees you wouldn't even notice them. And that's like a wild nest in yeah. the forest. Yeah. People say, well, how the heck do you, how do you see, how do you get to find all these nests? And it's like, well, if you just look up, you'll actually find a lot of them. So I position these logs everywhere for one specific reason, to cast swarms. Leave them alone and cast the swarms. And so I created this thing called, well, I, I gave it a name, um, Swarm Habitat. So all the logs that I have out there, I mean, I've got 30 of them at least mm. that are not habited yet, but they will next year possibly. So I'm continually, my, my goal is to put one to two logs out a week, and that is the swarm habitat. So if 80% is true that bees die in their first year because they can't find suitable habitat, then um, 
if I continue to put these logs out, they've, they've got something to swarm to. And like so, even thinking about, you know, putting the swarm habitat out there, you're also helping to give them other options than moving into somebody's siding or somebody's chimney or somewhere that that is inappropriate for them um, because you're, you're giving them an alternative that is nature's beehive. Yeah, you know, there's actually, there's a, a, a company down, it's a cattle company down in Sisters, Oregon. They contacted me, they've got 4,000 acres. And the guy said, you know, he's, in, he's 80 now. Um, good old boy, you know, <sighs> telling wild stories like, you know, yeah, well, this eye here, well, it, it got clipped when I, some barbed wire came flying back at my face. Oh my God. <laughs> this eye here is almost half gone because of a mule kick. But he said, um, you know, when I was younger, I used to go down to the river and uh, track the bees from the river back to the nest oh. and pull out honey. And he said, no, you don't even hardly ever see bees. And it's like, it's funny that, isn't it? Why is that? And uh, he saw some of my videos and he said, could you bring, could you start doing that? And I will invest money in creating foraging habitat. If, wow. you, can, if you can bring in logs and bees. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely right. Let's, there's oh. still going to be bees there. Yeah. It's just finding them, creating habitat for them. Yeah. And, and putting the investment in forage is for foraging. Like, yeah. It's so incredible. <laughs> I I've been, I've been really amazed at um, how awesome people have been in talking about this. They, they, the only thing they can be guilty of is being oblivious to what's going on. They're not guilty of deliberately sabotaging anything. Right. So when you bring it up to them, they are very, very enthusiastic to get involved because to the landowners, it's not a huge amount of money to develop um, foraging habitat and providing swarming habitat. I think everybody I've ever mentioned it to has always said, yes, what, what, what do I do? So it's really encouraging, actually. All you have to do is just talk about it and they get involved. To learn more about Alistair, you can find him on YouTube and Patreon at 18Bs. Until next time, may the buzz be with you. Keeper Confidential is written and produced by Mandy Shaw.